Welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy, episode 33. Today, Bitcoins are trading at $475. According to Melotic.com, that's M-E-L-O-T-I-C.com, LTB coins are trading at .000617 cents. Mm-mm-mm. Now that's gravy. Welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy, and thanks for joining me today as I podcast from East Nashville, Tennessee. I'm your host, John Barrett, here with my trusty sidekick, Maxwell. Say hello, Maxwell. (laughs) I'm just your average Bitcoin enthusiast who loves to talk about Bitcoin and share what I learn with you, the listener. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. On today's show, I travel all the way to Argentina to the picturesque town of Villa La Angostura for a lively discussion with computer tech guru Arturo Delia. We talk about the Argentine peso and how it has tumbled over 20% this year. We also talk about how Bitcoin can help the people of Argentina to live happier, more prosperous lives. Today on the show, I travel all the way to Argentina to speak with Arturo Delia. Arturo, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. It's great to be on the show. Oh, yeah. Now, you are in, you're going to have to help me with the pronunciation. It's Via La Angostura. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Visha La Angostura. Now, they say Visha. That's interesting. Is that a regional accent? That's right. We uh, we call it Castellano, or the double L becomes a sh instead of a y. Wow, that is a new one to me, man. Years ago, I worked in Berkeley with a bunch of guys from Mexico, and so I know that's a very different accent. In your email, you said, I can almost see the Chilean mountains from here. Yeah, that's right. I see the Andes Mountains right by them, and that's the border really with uh, Chile. Mm-hmm. And, and although we're surrounded by mountains, if you go high enough, you could see the tips of the Chilean mountains on a clear day. Wow. You know, after you told me the name of the small town you're in, I think it's like 8,000 people, it said on the internet, I started looking at pictures, and man, this place is beautiful, and it reminded (laughs) me of Lake Tahoe up in Northern California, where I used to go camping with my family. I mean, I'm talking about, you know, it looks like a cross between Lake Tahoe and the Swiss Alps or something. It's just really beautiful. Yeah, I had to look up Lake Tahoe, and uh, it, it was quite similar. The location where the town is to the kind of the size of the lake, and it has that you know, very homey feeling amongst the mountains, at least here. I'm not sure how mountain is, is over there. Yeah, the Sierras are pretty big mountains. But, you know, that just reminds me once again of how whenever I see these pictures of, you know, Mexico City or, you know, massive cities in Canada and North America, and then I see, you know, different pictures of cities or geography in South America and Central America, I just am reminded of how bad my public school education was in teaching me about anything outside of the United States. <laughs> I mean, you know, we basically grew up believing that Mexico was just basically kind of like a desert with pueblos and guys in big hats with donkeys, right, burros. And then we grew up believing that Canada was just basically some lakes, lots of ice and maybe some igloos, just ridiculous. So it's so great just to see some photos and to realize, wow, Argentina is a diverse country 
it just has a lot of geography that I never knew existed that's just really, really beautiful. And that's important for us to remember about these places we hear about in the news. You know, we hear about Argentina, we hear about credit default and all of these negative things, but we don't really get any kind of a clear picture of what the place looks like, what the people are like, how people live and all of that. So what are you doing in this Visha La Angostura? I came here to stay for a while. The idea was to uh, take a break from Canada. That's where I've been living most of my life. I was born here in Argentina, and I did live once in Vichalangostura, uh, which is about 45 minutes north of uh, the more renowned town, which is San Carlos de Bariloche. And I had this idea in which I could maybe present Bitcoin to the community here after my long history of learning about it, but not doing much about it. I was mm -hmm. one of those people who back in 2010 heard about it. And, you know, I downloaded the mining program and uh, I tried to get it going. And unfortunately, after five minutes of not getting it to work, I decided, well, it's probably not worth it. <laughs> and uh, well, <laughs> you know how that goes. I do know how that goes. In fact, you know, I was actually convinced not to. There was a point where when Bitcoins were worth almost nothing, 50 cents each, you know, I wanted to get into mining and I tried to communicate with people, hey, what hardware do I need? How do I do this? And time and time again, people told me it's not worth it. Don't do it. You know, you're only going to make maybe one Bitcoin a day, <laughs> you know. So, so continue on. Tell us more about your background and how you first got into Bitcoin and all of that. You know, in the tech community, we that's when I first heard about it, and my attempt didn't uh, work out very well in 2010. And then in, uh, it was just last year, at uh, the beginning of last year, I decided, now it's worth at least trying. And this was in Canada. It was winter, and I figured any kind of loss I had was converted to heat, which I needed anyways. Right. So I was going to reduce my bills that way, and it would be a no-risk scenario. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is kind of important because uh, I'll tie it back to the risk scenario there is here in Argentina. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to mine. I mined for three months. I got 0.1 out of it, and uh, it was about five bucks. And I protected that because it was a three-month commitment. My computer ran slow. It was my sacrifice per se, not even the electricity cost. And uh, mm -hmm. so when I came here, um, I saw the necessity. I could see it, how people were talking, how people were doing business. And it just seemed like this would be a good transition. And as I attempted to understand it, I realized that it would be difficult to explain it here because Argentina is one thing and it's another where I live. It's mm -hmm. a smaller town. It's uh, quite different from, say, the, the life of Buenos Aires or the way that people think. Yes. It's much more calm here, you could say, and very slow to change. And that's comparing to Argentina itself, never mind Argentina to the rest of the world. Right. So it was interesting because I started listening to these podcasts and that's when I, for about two months straight, I would hear your voice almost daily as I was trying to catch up on, you know, from last year's uh, recordings all the way up to uh, now finally I'm current. And uh, it was good to hear the progression and the transition as people spoke about what happened before Mt. Gox and then what happened afterwards and how everything kind of fit together finally in my mind as to how I was going to explain it in Spanish hmm. to the people in this town. So I began, I just started walking up and saying, you uh, accept Bitcoin? And uh, they say, oh, no, what is that? Say that for us in Spanish, will you? Do you accept Bitcoin? Acceptas Bitcoin? <laughs> and <laughs> they would say, what is Bitcoin? And they try to pronounce it completely uh, different every time. <laughs> and it was interesting to explain it because 
everyone has a different approach, whether they're in a hurry or not. And usually they're not here and they want to know more about it. And so I set up a quick web page, you know, did the 22nd, you know, here is the international currency. I would start with that. You know, this is something else you can accept. And this is a very touristy town. So, you know, the interest was high on uh, what else can I accept? Because they accept Chilean money here. They accept the Argentinian and they accept the U.S. dollar. Hmm. The biggest reserve, you could say, is the U.S. dollar here. If you have a greenback on your hand, you have something that anyone will accept because they understand that to them, at least, it seems like it appreciates. But the reality is it's just the pesos depreciating quicker than the uh, the dollar. So they see it as a, at least a way they can hold their money. Right. And what I read recently was that Argentinians generally are trying to protect their wealth by putting their wealth into anything they have into the U.S. dollar. If they can get a hold of a U.S. dollar, you know, a 20 or a 10 or whatever, they'll convert as quickly as they can because they know that the volatility is so bad when it comes to the peso and it's losing value at such a rapid rate. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. And, and so much that you can see it when you look up the blue rate, as they call it here, the unofficial uh, official rate, as I say, because no one looks at the bank rate. That's just more of a, you can see the difference in the transaction fee. If someone were to use their credit card, for instance, down here from United States, they would find that uh, they'd get eight pesos. Had they brought the cash down, they would have got 14. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I think actually might have dropped down to 13 now, but that's how it is. We're not even sure what it is. So you have to check it every day, every time we're going to do any transaction. And I actually stopped using the U.S. dollar completely and have switched over to Bitcoin to try to also encourage people uh, to use it with me here because I also uh, do computer business and I give a discount if they pay it. And actually, by telling you the discount, you can see the difference. It's so great. I have to give a 50% discount hmm. uh, to encourage people to use Bitcoin wow. because the difference between the official rate and the blue rate is 40-some percent. And so I give that extra percent for using Bitcoin. And that's how big that difference is. So talk to me about that for just a minute. Uh, you give a 50% discount. Does that mean if somebody comes to you and they want to buy some Bitcoin from you, you will sell Bitcoin at 50% lower than what Bitcoin is trading at, let's say on BTCE or on Coinbase? Yes, to put in perspective, we're looking at the official exchange rate. So they'll say it's eight bissels to the US dollar. And we know that the blue rate is around say 13. So I'll use a, the discount on the official rate because everyone knows that the value is in the blue rate, not in the official rate. So the discount is based on the official rate, if that makes okay. sense. Yes, that does. And the official rate, that is basically like the government, <laughs> the government rate. Right. That's their way of attempting to uh, increase their reserves of the U.S. dollars. So they take their cut and it's kind of like a massive tax to be able to do whatever it is they do with the dollars. Are they calling that the Kirchner rate or something? <laughs> <laughs> the Kirchner. Oh, yeah, Kishner? they've been uh, Kirchner. That's the husband and then the wife. It's amazing how that family has held on to uh, 16 years of power here. But I think what I read is she's leaving next year or she's out. Well, yeah, the law says two terms and you're done. I see. So I know she's been trying to change that, but I don't know how that's going to go. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure she has been trying to change that. Well, <laughs> well, we'll, we'll hope we'll hope that she is unsuccessful in changing that. Okay, so you have been living in Canada, and you got into Bitcoin in 2010, and you decided, I want to go back to Argentina, where you were born, and see if I can help out, because I'm guessing you were hearing about all of the problems in Argentina. Can you talk a little bit about the problems in Argentina? What compelled you to head back to Argentina, other than the fact that it's your home country? Well, what initiated was 
uh, I have a son, and I thought it would be important for him to uh, experience some of the cultural and language ability that I had when I was young. Mm -hmm. And so we came back, and that was a great opportunity to give him that, and as well as to contribute the knowledge I already had gained in Canada about basically anything from technology right down to the cryptocurrency. It has been successful in that sense of transmitting that knowledge. What ends up being is this year of, of attempting to not only transmit that value that I've gained, but as well as understand better what the needs are down here, not just what the news presents to us, uh, which is usually the just the tip of the iceberg, but to understand how people think here and be able to help them in that way. Because it's great to bring a new technology in, but if it won't serve them, and the way that they would like to be served, then it's not going to adopt. That makes sense. Now, how old is your son? Uh, he's almost, well, he's nine and a half right now. Okay, yeah, perfect age where he can obviously understand Bitcoin, and you've explained it to him. I think that's great. I think uh, there are a lot of parents that are doing that, getting their children into alternative currencies uh, now, because they know that when those kids are in their 20s and 30s, they're going to be most likely walking around with a phone, paying for things with their phone, um, and hopefully it'll be Bitcoin. Hopefully it won't be an Apple product, right? The <laughs> iDollar, right? <laughs> I was going to say that uh, my son does have actually a Bitcoin account or address, but he has none yet. He's studying it, okay. which is interesting. Most kids, I would think, yeah, yeah, just send me something, right? And no, no, Dad, I'm going to learn a little more. I don't, I don't quite want it yet. Oh, wow. And it's just intriguing because uh, everyone else I know in my family has it, but he's the only one who has an account. He has it backed up. He knows how to restore it. He knows all the technical details behind it, but he doesn't quite want the coin yet. He wants uh, to transmit that value when he understands the value. So I think he's the hardest sell of all, which is interesting. Well, you know, I think that's so neat. And you say he's a hard sell, but I look at my family and, you know, everyone in my family's much older than nine years old. <laughs> you know, <laughs> my parents are in their seventies. My siblings are my age, which is an undisclosed age, <laughs> somewhere between, somewhere close <laughs> to half a century. I'll, I'll give that hint, put that hint out there. <laughs> and your nine-year-old, nine-and-a-half-year-old son is intrigued by bitcoin and i can't get i can't get these adults to you know <laughs> even give it the time of day to what is it is it maybe that uh, your son or the other people in your family are more curious maybe uh, maybe you're a better presenter maybe you're more relaxed and, and calm when you're presenting you're saying i would like to introduce you to bitcoin it's something that i think you'll find very interesting whereas i'm saying bitcoin you've got to get it you got to get it bitcoin it's going to change the world <laughs> maybe i'm just turning them off by my zealous approach i don't know maybe i sound too much like a preacher oh shoot well <laughs> Actually, I could tie that into what I've learned here, which was the people who adopt it are the ones who will find direct value right now with it. And a clear example has been how uh, one family member has adopted it. And it was because a couple of years ago, I was in Argentina and I could take my pesos back to the bank and the bank will take them six weeks later, the deposit after the exchange and, and all that. No problem. But now they won't accept the peso. I can't even take it out of the country. Hmm and deposit it if I were to do that. So what do we do with the pesos that are accumulated here through a business? And the only way to transmit it out now and maintain that value is through Bitcoin. So with uh, using something like localbitcoins.com, uh, we can do a bank transfer and then get the Bitcoins. And, and now we have those Bitcoins to use in whatever country or exchange them to a local currency wherever we are. And, and so that opportunity presented itself and that's what gave 
arise right away as in, yes, please set me up, show me how to do this, I gotta do this now. And anyone who's in that position will usually adopt it quite quickly. And I think that's why we have the early adopters. One of the things that I found was that uh, places like United States has so much option. Uh, and therefore the adoption won't be high unless they have the necessity, right? Down here, they have that necessity. And the people who are adopting it are the ones who can gain value from it right away. And in the end, that's what Bitcoin is all about, is, is, uh, is transmitting value. And that's why I find that the adoption here is erratic. There are the people who want it right away, and then there's those who are, are studying it. They're not sure because they're, although they may be oppressed with the, the devaluating peso, they still rather keep something they understand and know than to go to something they're not sure about yet. Do you see a lot of people there in Argentina? Do you know if a lot of people are buying gold and silver, trying to put their uh, pesos into precious metals? To answer your question properly, I don't know of anyone storing their value in uh, precious metals. And, and number two is probably because of uh, physical security. Uh, that's a big problem. If anything, crime here has to do more with uh, you know, theft, someone breaking into a home or a car and taking. So I, I find that people rather just store their value in bills, even if it's depreciated. I see. And are people still using banks there? I mean, I know that's a silly question, but people still have their pesos in a bank, right? Again, they're not hiding them under the mattress because, you know, theft and security. It's interesting because many years ago, the banks took a hold of the accounts and kind of like what happened in Cyprus. And even though they, they don't trust the banks, it's the only thing they have left that is better than, say, keeping it under the mattress where someone can come and take it. And so you have them in a hard place where they're not sure what to do, but this is the only option they have left. Hmm. Well, that sounds grim. So let's see. Let's go to, you know, the problems as you see it. Obviously, we know, as has happened all over the world, same thing in Cyprus, same thing that's going on in the United States. You have a situation of uncontrolled government spending, <laughs> you know, on the local level, municipal levels, you know, Nashville's a good example. We built the Music City Center, which is a massive convention center. Of course, it was pushed through um, with the idea that it would bring a lot of money to Nashville. Taxpayers are paying for it. And now it looks like it's in the red and it's not doing so well. So all of the people who were screaming, don't do this, don't build a multi, multi-million dollar convention center when we have Opryland Hotel, which has been a great convention center and a beautiful convention center. Don't do it because we don't need it. Don't spend the money. Do you have examples that you could give specific or just general about why Argentina is again having so many financial problems? I mean, is it the Kirchner family, 16 years of the Kirchner family having, you know, too many festivals and fine dining and buying expensive bottles of wine? <laughs> is, is that part of the, you know, uncontrolled government spending that we know exists in a lot of these countries that are having financial problems? It seems to me that the, from my perspective and from what I've learned, that the greatest issue there has to do with corruption. It has to do when the money that's collected from taxes isn't going, the full value isn't going to where it's supposed to. And although you see attempts of demonstrating that to the public, where they have big signs and they have the registration code to build this and that, uh, in the end, I'm living in a town where there's a lot of money that comes through here because uh, there's a lot of rich people that like to stay in you know, rented hotels and homes and whatnot. And, and there's still no paved roads here other than in the one strip in downtown, uh, what we call downtown. But it's all dirt roads here still. And for years, it's been like this. And you see the announcement from the mayor, you know, we're going to now pave the roads. And many months later, nothing's happened. 
And so you talk with the people around here and it's the same consensus, which is that money isn't going where it's supposed to. So, you know, Christina might be collecting those taxes, but it's not being organized properly and where it's supposed to go. This is another opportunity where something like Bitcoin with a public ledger uh, would present uh, transparency where you can see where that money goes and uh, corruption would be extraordinarily difficult, I would say, in a situation like that. Right. You know, they talk about uh, the same thing for nonprofits. People give money to nonprofits and then they find out, wow, most of the money I gave to this nonprofit is going toward administrative fees. It's not going to save the whale or to feed children here or there. And that's, you know, basically, in my opinion, that's kind of a form of corruption within nonprofits. So the same thing. Yeah. My tax dollars here in the U.S. Well, hey, I don't support all these foreign wars. I think it's ridiculous, you know, that we're traveling all over the world, setting up military bases. Some people would say it's smart i would say no of course we need to have a strong military but we do not need to be spreading ourselves as thin as we are we do not need to be bombing the hell out of these foreign countries um so yeah i don't like not knowing where my tax dollars are going but here in the u.s people always say you know what you don't want to pay taxes or you're angry about paying too much taxes or you know john the reason taxes are so high is because we have excellent police force excellent firefighters um we have excellent public schools and all this other stuff excellent roads and all of that well you know it's only partly true our public school system is largely in shambles in many parts of the country and i suppose we have an excellent police force although i think it's getting too big too quickly but you know my point is that i would like to be able to say i want my tax dollars to go here or at the very least i want to see what is actually happening with my tax dollars you know i've read articles that say no our tax dollars do not absolutely do not pay for the roads and the public services that those are easily paid for, that our tax dollars are basically going to feed this big hungry animal called the U.S. government. And it sounds like you all are in the same situation there. Isn't that interesting that we still don't know exactly how the money is used? This is the government. It's supposed to be an organization that is transparent to its people. And what it comes down to is if I'm not sure where my money's going and how it's being used, then I most likely won't trust that system. And I think that's what's happening with this kind of uh, cryptocurrency coming up and showing, well, you don't have to show who it is, but we can see where the value goes. And we, now we have the old system, which is the fiat, and it doesn't help at all in that way where we're trying to figure out, okay, how come I still don't have a road in front of my house? Or how come I, I don't have sufficient uh, coverage of uh, the fire department? And there's no way to track that. You know, and so I find that really interesting how we are starting to ask the important questions. And at least we have now a tool that can help bring us closer to the, answering that question. I agree. And, you know, it scares me, though, because when you look at governments and how they've traditionally acted over time, historically, they don't want the money to be tracked. They want to bring in as much money as they can, right? And the idea of tracking it, the idea that they would be, you know, on the hook, that they are liable, I think that's something that governments really do not want. So I think that Bitcoin has an uphill battle. But I do think that uh, there are specific ways that it can be incorporated right now that would make a lot of the taxation and where our tax dollars are going more transparent. I think people have to stand up. I think people have to stand up in mass and, you know, really fight for this. Otherwise, I don't think we're going to get it. Men, I know that for some of you, this is your very first time going into battle. Let me remind you that war is fun. 
Excuse me, Sergeant Lasky, sir. Uh, what exactly is our objective here? Private Barrett, what is wrong with you? Our objective is to take that blockchain at any cost. Uh, sir, now, is, is there any chance that we could get, uh, injured here or, or killed in any way? Because I, I'm not, uh, so sure that this is the right way to- Private Barrett, you shut that trap of yours. Get back in formation and lock and load, soldier. Uh, yes, sir, Sergeant. Uh, right away, sir. Yes, sir. When you're smiling. When you're smiling. For the whole world smiles you. When you're laughing. Oh, when you're laughing. While the sun comes shining through. But when you're crying, you bring on the rain. So stop your sighing. Be happy again. Keep on smiling. Cause when you're smiling, out of the whole world, smile. Today, the magic word is war. Yes, W A R, war. Something we all seem to condone these days, and proof of that is that I don't hear a damn peep of opposition from the myriad peanut galleries around the planet, while the crypto-anarchists are busy dismantling governments molecule by molecule, it seems that the rest of us are just too involved in our busy schedules of self-indulging and entertaining ourselves. Well, no wonder, after all, we are just one minuscule step below the gods and the kings of old, and certainly we do all deserve as much stuff and entertainment as is humanly possible to purchase and indulge in. Mmm, warm fuzzies. No matter that brown people in foreign lands will have bombs raining down on them, why should we care, right? The big football game is on tonight, and there's plenty of cold beer in the fridge. Oh, is that the doorbell? Sorry, folks, gotta go. The pizza just arrived. Now climb aboard, y'all. This train is bound for glory. And there's plenty of room for all. Well, Satoshi Nakamoto, that's a name I love to say. And we don't know much about him, but he came to save the day. When he wrote about the way things are and the way things are to be, he gave us all a protocol this world had never seen. Oh, Bitcoin, as you're going into the old blockchain. Oh, Bitcoin, I know you're going to rain, going to rain. Till everybody knows, everybody knows, till everybody knows your name. Will be 
told about the death of old Mount Gox, about traders trading altar coins and miners mining blocks. But them good old boys back in Illinois and on down through Tennessee, see they don't care to be a millionaire, they're just wanting to be free. Our Bitcoin as you're going into the old blockchain, our Bitcoin, I know you're going to rain, going to rain, till everybody knows, everybody knows, till everybody knows your name. A promise to deliver us from age-old tyranny A Bitcoin as you're going into the old blockchain A Bitcoin, I know you're going to rain, gonna rain Till everybody knows, everybody knows, till everybody knows your name Till everybody knows, everybody knows, till everybody knows your Give me some exposure Everybody knows your name, sing it Oh Lord, pass me some more Oh, Lord, before I have to go Oh, Lord, pass me some more Oh, Lord, before I have to go Other than uncontrolled spending and corruption, what else? Heavy taxes on exports, strict controls of imports, and then, you know, Argentina. Argentina's rich in oil, right? Why is Argentina not actively exporting, selling oil? Is it possible that, you know, some other country is telling them not to? Or, you know, are these governments colluding and, and working together? I, I just don't understand that. If, if a country is rich in oil, why would they not be exporting at, you know, the market price? And the country should then be rich and the people should be happy and everybody should have paved roads and sidewalks and everything should be good, right? Right. And I think it comes back down to that same issue where uh, transmitting value. So, you know, when I go into a store and if I find that bread is a little too high, I may walk away and try to find somewhere else. And countries do the same thing. And the reality is that if people don't value what we have here, uh, they, they won't get it. And to bring it up a step, if I can explain this a little bit better, what happens is that I find is that because the peso is depreciated, which is how we're saying this is how we value ourselves, we're transmitting our value with this currency. And if the rest of the countries don't find that valuable, then it can be very difficult to do business with other countries because if it doesn't cover at least the cost, then we can't do business with them. And so that's one of the problems with having these kind of currencies are depreciated. And they're usually depreciated only when you factor in a comparison, like a different currency, because on its own, it's a very valuable country. It's got enormous amount of resources. And uh, like I would say, it spreads from north to south, which encompasses a, a variety of different climates. And therefore, you can get a variety of different things like wine, and you have your fruits and vegetables, and you have uh, your oil, like you were mentioning. And so how is it that 
this country being so rich in resources doesn't seem to be valued elsewhere. And it's because the way we transmit that value, it's done with this currency, which it seems like a popularity contest with all the other currencies that are out there. And I think, and this is where I come back to Bitcoin and say, this is interesting because uh, if everyone used Bitcoin, then we're using one way, one system to transmit that value. And it's like throwing a big rock in a pond. At first, it's going to be highly volatile like it is right now, but it'll even out as we incorporate the rest of the world in transmitting the same way that value. As the pond gets bigger and turns into a lake and turns into an ocean. Right. That pebble falling in won't have as many ripples. We won't have the volatility that we see right now. You bring up a really good point and talking about how we could apply relativity to <laughs> currencies. And, and yeah, the Argentinian peso is what it is largely because of what? Of the U.S. dollar and the U.S. dollar saying almost in a militaristic sort of way, we will be the reserve currency of the world. You will love us more than any other currency. Definitely a lot of tanks and planes and bombs behind that. You know, some of our foreign campaigns have been going into a country and telling that ruler, hey, you made an attempt to get by without the U.S. dollar. You tried to circumvent our authority. Now we're going to crush you and we're going to kill you and we're going to destroy your infrastructure. And that kind of warring in the name of money, is anything worse than that, really? I mean, can you be any more base as a human being? Can you be any more base as a culture, as a government? You know, that's just... Uh, I mean, geez, it looks to me like the Romans were more sophisticated or gentler than this, you know, <laughs> and that's scary, right? <laughs> right. And that's the thing. And if I could be so blunt to say it's an old type of thinking, it's an old way of handling things. It's a way that may have worked at one point to help and now it's being used in ways that it's probably not the best way at all. And so it's very difficult for me to now use the U.S. dollar because I constantly see that and it's tying in with the news and how I'm using the money. I'm like, am I going to support this? It's like this massive value that you give to the rest of the world and you're transmitting that value in that way saying, hey, I support this and that's why I'm using this currency. And I think that's what all these other cryptocurrencies that came out saying, you know, like we support this, you know, or the tokens are like on uh, counter wallet, uh, we support this. And, and it's always been like this where we vote with our money. You know, if we buy from a certain company, uh, whatever their practices are, we're saying it's okay. And that's why we boycott them if, if we're not okay with them. And, and so I think this is going to a, a much larger stage now in which we're starting to see that it's not just the companies, but it's the countries. And maybe at one point we'll get to this idea again where we're all connected and we're all part of the same planet and we don't need to fight about it. We just need to come to a, an agreement, what we all agree, a, a consensus. And I think that um, that using something like math is incredible because the rules are set. And if you agree with those rules, then you'll use that system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it'd be nice if we could uh, somehow elect math, you know, instead of electing politicians, if we could elect math to serve office for a certain period of time or in perpetuity, we wouldn't have to, you know, wonder, is this guy going to try to cheat us? Is he campaigning on these false promises? And as soon as he gets into office, he's doing the opposite of that. It would be math. We would know when math said this, math was going to do that because it's math. <laughs> That's right. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be nice, man? So let's see. Now, you mentioned to me in an email, I believe, that you are or were a pilot. Uh, yes, I, I still have my commercial license. 
Um, I was going to turn it into a career, and um, <laughs> I really feel for the pilots because what they get paid, and I really should have looked into it before I started, but my love for flying was number one at that time. I didn't care how much they paid. I was going to make it work, I said. And uh, then reality hit once you finish training and you're saying, wow, that's what they get paid. I probably can't make it on that, especially with a family. So uh, I, I didn't pursue it. You didn't pursue it. So now are you talking about low wages for pilots uh, worldwide or for major airlines that we're all familiar with, the Southwest Airlines, TWA? Well, that's and there's many routes you can take as a pilot. Those would be the big airliners. And it's more about the process one takes to be able to get a job that pays well. It's a very long process. It's almost comparable to taking out a student loan for many years, and now you have to pay it off. And you usually don't pay it off uh, very easily. Yeah, I have a friend from college from years ago. He's in Seattle now, and he was a pilot for years with TWA and then he got laid off and he was laid off for I want to say it was almost a decade and then I think just last year he got back on with them and he's flying again but I don't know what he's getting paid I know years ago go back a decade and I think pilots were getting paid pretty well so has that changed um, from what I see, uh, yes, it, it all depends on the market again, because I've even heard of pilots who uh, go to retire and then they're needed in Africa and they're willing to push the age limit in which they're allowed to fly. And so it all comes down to where you are, what you're willing to fly. For some pilots, I should say, that won't touch a big airliner. They love the bush flying. They love the, the adventure and the, and the lower flying. And, and so it all depends what you want to get into, what you're willing to trade for, because usually it's, it's money. I see. What is your favorite kind of flying? I like the image of bush flying. You're flying over trees and you're, you know, you're seeing things whip past you really quickly as opposed to being, you know, 30,000 feet in the air and you're just seeing clouds and it's real chill. Right. Like a, an autopilot on top of that. So it can be quite boring. I was told that. But for me, it's definitely uh, the lower end flying. Uh, what I should say is the photography part of it, because uh, I love photography and I love flying. So putting the two together and doing some oh. You know, uh, some kind of photography would be great. So that's why I ended up being more of a hobby than uh, a job, because there's not much for what I like to do in the market. I see. It seems like that goes along with your mind. You're not uh, you're not the pilot who likes to be up there in the clouds with the easy cush job. Uh, you like doing something that's a little bit more exciting, a little bit more uh, stimulating. You like your photography. And that seems like that's how your mind works, uh, that you would even have recognized that Bitcoin has value that you would have started getting into it and getting involved in it and then had the desire to bring it to other people. I mean, that takes a certain kind of mind that not everybody has. A lot of people in the Bitcoin space, you know, their primary objective is to get wealthy. And then a lot of people generally, when they hear about Bitcoin, especially in the United States and in North America, they just, <laughs> it doesn't matter what you say to them. You can say, okay, hey, I've changed my tune about Bitcoin. It's no longer a currency that's going to do really well. It's a value exchange network, right? And then they say a value exchange network. What does that mean? And then you may have their interest for a minute, but then they say, hey, I'm sorry, I've got to go. The big game comes on in 15 minutes, you know, and I've got to go buy chips and beer. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, Americans these days, they really know how to prioritize. You know, you get your chips, you get your beer, you get your 50,000 stations on your cable, and you make sure that you don't miss a single game. 
And right along with that is make sure that you're involved in one of these fantasy football leagues because it's so important to feel like you are on your own team, that you have your own team, that you maybe are actually out there playing. You're actually the quarterback or the running back or the wide receiver. That's uh, part of the American fantasy that we've been taught uh, in terms of what is important in life. And of course, you know, make sure that you uh, you have Pepperidge Farm turnovers in the oven for dessert and that you buy Barbie dolls for your children. That's very, <laughs> very important. That last one right there, especially for <laughs> girls, make sure that they grow up to look just like that or that they aspire to look just like that because that's so important, America. Anyway. Yeah, that's actually an interesting uh, comparison you made there, uh, uh, John, because I think it comes down to comfort. When people have what they have, they're comfortable, they're, how do I say it, like their the routine is there, and there's no reason to change. They know what they have, they like what they have, and until some disruption happens or, or something happens that either gets them emotionally involved in it, usually they won't make that transition. They won't make that transition because they're comfortable and they have that routine. It was much more important to me to be disrupted in my daily life when I was in Canada by going camping or say, come here for a while to remember what I have, things like power throughout the whole day, because I do get daily almost at this point now. I'm not really sure why. We don't even ask questions. We just, oh, the lights went out. No big deal. A couple hours later, it comes back on. You know, you start realizing how important a downloaded podcast is instead of watching something streaming live. Uh, knowing that you will have that. And so, yeah, that's it's difficult to see people set in a certain way that they could be helping by just changing a small amount of the routine or a small amount of, of what they do in the day or, or put a little bit more value. Say, for instance, Christmas is coming up. You know, how many billions of dollars are going to be traded into presents instead of saying, well, maybe we'll put it in here, you know, someone who needs water uh, in Africa, or maybe I'll, I'll give Bitcoins to uh, this family because they won't be able to save. I'll tell them this is one way to start saving. And, and so there's so many different ways, but people like their routine, people like their comfort, and that's why it's hard to change that. Yeah, it really is hard to change that. People like their comfort, and I think that if there's any chance that their comfort is going to get taken away from them. I think people will do anything in their power to keep that comfort level exactly where it is and make no change whatsoever. I have neighbors who have 4,000 square feet houses, and there's nothing wrong with that. They've worked hard. They have the right to buy a 4,000 square foot house. But hey, do you have to keep every single light in the house on? <laughs> You know, 24 hours a day, you know, it can be midnight and the house is just blazing with lights and, uh, you know, they'll have front porch fans. That's a big thing. Now you have these fans on the front porch, which, you know, are supposedly there to cool you off because it's hot here in the summer. But, you know, it's nine o'clock at night. No one's out on the porch and that fan's just whizzing at high speed. And, you know, I know that if you were to ask them or ask their children, so, hey, Jimmy, do you know where electricity comes from? Jimmy would say, it comes from the light switch. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, whatever, Jimmy, listen. <laughs> if you were to ask the parents, where does electricity come from? Well, I don't know. Don't we use a hydroelectric here in Nashville? It's like, no, no, we're burning coal, you jackass. <laughs> Every time you turn on that light, you're burning coal. Sure, some of it is from hydroelectric. Some of it is from other green energy. And of course, that green energy is really important. Solar is really important. But we know the monopolies. We know who's in charge of our energy, right? And again, every time you turn on that light, my friend, you are burning coal. And that's going out into the air and burning coal we all know is not a good thing to breathe there's an old guy here in the neighborhood what he remembers is as he put it to me you know back when i was growing up here 
the, the air was different. It was a kind of hazy like. <laughs> you know, it's funny to hear him say that. And then it was a year or so later that I learned that where he lived, which is East Nashville, and where the coal burning energy plant was right downtown, just a half a mile from here, reading this old history of Nashville, the air did have a hazy look. It did have all of the particulates in it from the coal burning plant. So when he said kind of hazy like, <laughs> that was his memory. I thought he was insane, right? But I digress. So can you tell me a little bit more about Argentina? What is pressing on your mind? Argentina is in a horrible state of affairs in terms of the economy. Canada, by comparison, is doing really well, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's definitely first world country up in the north there. And we are here till the end of the year. At that point, my commitments are done here. Actually, just yesterday, I had a meeting with Adam Levine, and I will be trying to head the the movement towards the Spanish section of Let's Talk Bitcoin Network by connecting journalists here and writing in the Spanish language. And then we will see about translating that work into English. But the idea is if the very people who write here uh, can convey it to uh, their own people, they will find that it's easier to understand. And maybe they can find a better way than what I did to kind of spread the message. So that's going to be my focus for the next four months is uh, working with the Spanish section of the Let's Talk Bitcoin Network. Man, that is fantastic. You know, I didn't know that Adam B. Levine was reaching out in that way. I know that he knows people all over the world and he works closely with Andreas Antonopoulos, who knows people all over the world. Actually, Andreas Antonopoulos might even know people in different galaxies. You know, the guy's so smart. <laughs> the guy's so smart. But um, yeah, so Adam B. Levine and Let's Talk Bitcoin, you're going to be their basically Spanish-speaking, Spanish-writing correspondent for Argentina, for what, all of Central America, South America? Well, my role would be to just kind of start the catalyst of this idea of having this kind of focused Spanish section. The idea is uh, to start with Argentina, um, especially because it's in the news a lot. And uh, it would be great if other countries got involved as well, like Spanish-speaking countries, and we could connect uh, journalists and other people, freelance, who uh, understand this and can convey the message better to their own countries. Well, that's fantastic. And uh, I know Venezuela and many other countries could use your help and could use the help of Bitcoin. I just think that's fantastic that Adam has reached out to you and that you guys are going to be partnering to, to make that a reality. That's really exciting to me. And, you know, I think that's just fantastic what you're doing. So that's going to be four months you'll be working on that? Yes. Yeah. All the way till the uh, the holiday. That's going to be my uh, high focus. It's not to say I'm not going to continue it, but uh, this is where I'm going to put my biggest effort to try to get it going. I see. And then your idea is to pass that on to find people there in Argentina and in other countries who can continue to write about that and continue to speak about that, blog about that, maybe podcast about that um, and carry the torch from there. Yes. Uh, the primary thing here is education is that way people can make informative choice. It, what it comes down to is if they understand what available choices they have, then they can make that choice uh, without having you know, someone telling them not to because it's volatile or because it's uh, insecure and, and, you know, all the typical stuff that comes up. It's very important that uh, the first thing we do is educate properly so that, again, they can make the choice on their own. I see. And, you know, obviously, like you mentioned, I think you're going to be well received in these countries that are having, that are right in the middle of financial crisis. Whereas, yeah, a lot of people here in the United States, they're not in financial crisis yet. <laughs> and uh, and so, yeah, they feel like they don't need Bitcoin. They have their iPhones. They have their bank accounts. They have access to, you know, relatively inexpensive credit. 
the dollar's not really volatile by comparison. And so, yeah, I think it's going to take a long time, just like Andreas Antonopoulos has said many times, the very last places that Bitcoin will be adopted are places like the United States and Canada. We're going to see Bitcoin adoption moving rapidly in um, African countries like Kenya and then in South America, Central America, in countries like Argentina, where the people really need help. And uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully Bitcoin can help and people like you, man, I think what you're doing is just fantastic. And um, I thank you so much for being on the show. Let me ask you a favor. Would it be possible for us to keep communicating with each other about what you're doing? And let's say maybe sometime around the holidays, have you back on the show? You could brief my listeners on everything that you've done and everything that you've experienced and uh, all of the headway and all of the successes you've had. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Especially because uh, there might be an opportunity for me to, before I go to Canada, to end up in uh, Costa Rica for a, a short period and I'll be doing some work there. So um, absolutely. Whenever you want, reach out and I'd be happy to be back on the show. Man, that sounds great. You're going to Costa Rica. You're going to all of these places, you know, here. I'm stuck here in Nashville. <laughs> you know, I've, got a, I've got a mortgage for my house. I'm doing the show. I've got a dog. Max, where are you? He's in the other room. But anyway, you know, and, and <laughs> I interview these people from all over the world and it's just killing me. I'm dying to get to, you know, um, one of these places and, uh, you know, where there's beautiful mountains or a beautiful beach or something like that and beautiful women. You know, I'm going to put the I'm going to put it out there. I, I know this is going to sound horrible, but I am tired of American women. I know that sounds horrible to say that. And the American women listening, they're going to think, well, how dare he say that? I was like, well, come on. You know, if you cared a little bit less about trivia crap I would be more interested so <laughs> I still have the dream that you know the idea that the only way I'm ever going to find my wife is by traveling outside of this country <laughs> so I'm still I'm still waiting I'm hoping the show does well enough that at some point somebody like you or someone in Costa Rica or Argentina or wherever Chile they they send me a ticket you know an airline ticket you know Mr. Barrett please come do your show from our hometown here's a ticket <laughs> and we want you to stay with us you know maybe it's a guy who has 15 beautiful daughters and you can choose from my daughters <laughs> okay I've cro- I've probably crossed the line that this is a family show <laughs> that's right I'll keep a good lookout for you John <laughs> You will, man. Seriously. Oh yeah, yeah. If something comes up, I will, I will hand them your email address, and you can make a decision from there. Man, that is great. And you know, I, hey, I'm not a bad-looking fellow. You know, my mom and my sister say, hey, you're still good-looking. <laughs> so, ah, shoot, man. Well, I can still dream, right? And you know, I can live vicariously through you as you're doing the work that you're doing there. Listeners, definitely check out the. It's spelled V I L L A, like Villa Via La Angostura, which is pronounced Visha. La Angostura there in Argentina, just absolutely beautiful. It looks like uh, looks like a perfect place to go camping, right, or go boating. It's gorgeous. Yeah, what is that lake that's right there? That one's called Nahuel Huapi. It's quite a interesting lake uh, because it's supposed to have a like a Loch Ness monster hidden away in there. They Ooh. call him Nahuelito. And so I've, I've never seen him, of course. <laughs> man, Nahuelito, man, that is pretty cool. This is like the Argentinian version of the Loch Ness Monster, man. <laughs> wow, that's cool. And I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll put it out there 
that if uh, anyone comes down here in the next four months and they come with Bitcoins, uh, they can come confidently knowing that uh, they can trade here uh, with me. I'm on CoinMap. Uh, and uh, just to facilitate, I'm still working with the businesses down here. I've got already one signed up and I'm still working with uh, even Bitbagos uh, to help people have a different option, not just to have to deal with the Bissell, but they can deal with a different currency as well and encourages tourists uh, as well who have Bitcoins to come down to this area. And so it's all part of a an attempt to give options to the local people down here. Nice. And what was that last one that you mentioned, the company you're working with? Oh, that one is, uh, well, I'm not working with them, but I'm facilitating for them, which is, uh, the name is Bitpagos. The fellow is actually in California. Uh, he's an Argentinian and uh, it allows mostly hotels. People from outside come with uh, the credit cards. Uh, they can process a credit card and not lose the official rate value uh, or the discount that the banks take. Uh, instead, they can take it as Bitcoins. And whenever the, they want, they can sell the Bitcoins and get uh, local currency for it. Oh, wow. And that's called Bitpagos, P-A-G-O-S? Correct, yeah. Okay, now tell our listeners, if you would, please, Arturo, how they can find you. Well, to find me, they can, uh, the only person on the map, on CoinMap in Villa La Gortura, uh, that is uh, registered there of accepting uh, Bitcoins, that's the easiest way, I would say, uh, to find me. Okay, and I'm going to spell that for the listeners, Via or Visha, V like victory, I-L-L-A, and then La, L-A, and then Angostura, A, N like Nancy, G, O, S like Sam, T like Tom, U, R, A, Angostura, Visha Langostura, right? That's correct. Oh, man, if you get a chance, send me some great photos from there. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I'm going to take a hike and I'll find a good day and I'll take a picture just for you, John. Okay, so Arturo, it's been great speaking with you and mm -hmm. you've told our English-speaking listeners everything that they would need <laughs> to know. Could you give a shout out to all of the Spanish-speaking listeners out there and tell them whatever you want to tell them in, let's say, 30 seconds? Go. <laughs> Eh, Argentina es Arturo de Lía. Eh, les quiero decir nomás que sigan con fuerza, que no se preocupen tanto del pasado, que, se, que miren al futuro con mucha energía, con, uh, con solidaridad. Eh, les agradezco siempre con la amistad que, que me han recibido, aunque que no vivo acá en Argentina, pero sí nacido. Espero que con cada palabra y cada movimiento que hacen eh, sea positivo y que sean el ejemplo para el resto del mundo. Well, man, I, I don't know what you said, <laughs> but that is actually beautiful. It's funny because that's where that cultural part comes out is I was just saying that, you know, I thank them for receiving me again here and to uh, not worry about the past, but to look forward with energy and to everything that they do and say that it be done with positive energy, uh, that everything will be okay. Oh, man, that is beautiful. Thank you. Well, that was really nice, man. Thank you. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you, John. Uh, thank you again. And uh, I will send you that picture. <laughs> hey, thanks a million, Arturo. Take care. You too. <laughs> Bye. Bye.
Bitcoins and Gravy is made possible by the Tennessee Bitcoin Alliance, the first state-focused nonprofit organization dedicated to promoting blockchain technologies for a free and equitable society. To learn more about the Tennessee Bitcoin Alliance, visit TennesseeBitcoin.org. I'd like to thank my guest on the show today, Arturo Delia, there in Visha La Angostura. To find out more about my guests and sponsors, check out the show notes on the Let's Talk Bitcoin page or SoundCloud or on bitcoinsandgravy.com slash episode 33. Thanks for tuning into the show. And if you really do like the show and you aren't just faking it, please tell your friends about it or send them a link to the show. And remember the Bitcoins and Gravy hotline. Have you ever wanted to be a podcaster? Then call Bitcoins and Gravy at 615-208-5198 and leave a message with your comments, questions, or complaints. This is your chance to give me a piece of your mind and tell me what you really think about the show. And if you give me permission, I'll put your call-in comments on the show. So give me a call at 615-208-5198. And of course, I offer a number of ways for you to download all of the past podcasts. You can go to letstalkbitcoin.com or directly from SoundCloud, or you can go to the website, which of course is bitcoinsandgravy.com. If you've enjoyed the show, please take a minute to leave a review on SoundCloud. And remember, it's your reviews and comments that help new listeners discover Bitcoins and Gravy, plus all the other great podcasts, articles, and links that can be found on the Let's Talk Bitcoin network. I also thank you for your generous donations in Bitcoin or Litecoin that help me keep the lights on and coffee in the kettle. Signing off now from East Nashville, Tennessee, I'm your host, John Barrett, with my trusty companion, Maxwell. Say goodbye, Maxwell. Y'all be good to each other out there now, you hear? And remember, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men and women to do nothing. Thanks for listening to Bitcoins and Gravy from East Nashville, Tennessee.